right, y'all, we're going to be in the book of James, chapter 1. And let's pray one more time. So, Lord, your word open before us. The word that you moved men to write by your Holy Spirit and your Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Lord, deep crying out to deep. Your word also tells, about the Holy, tells us about the Holy Spirit that when we don't know how to pray, your spirit is within us groaning with words too deep for understanding. And then later in Romans, it tells us that the Son is sitting on the throne interceding for us. So, Lord, as we come to your word, Lord, may we be shaped by it and not try to shape it. Lord, give us receptive hearts and good soil in our hearts so that it can take root and we can grow. But, Lord, I'm also praying for Cross Life and whoever is to listen to this message. If they are professing Christians, Lord, would you also guard their heart? Because where you bring conviction... Satan tries to bring condemnation. So, Lord, I pray that your conviction is clear and that we are receptive to that and that we live lives that are to build your kingdom and not our own. Amen. All right, y'all, we are in in James chapter 1. Last week, we started with uh, faith and hearing part 1. And if there's a part 1, then that necessarily implies that there's going to be a part 2. All right, and so what we did last week was verses 19 through 25, and then this week we're going to pick up and we're going to actually go back to 22 and go to 27. Uh, the reason for that is because that middle passage really frames the context for both, both of the messages. But I want to begin with the same exhortation this week as I had last week, and it's simply this, before we start to push into this, I'm going to encourage you, y'all, remember the gospel. Okay? The gospel is going to be incredibly important because this, the, the gospel that we know is the power of God unto salvation. And so if you're sitting here and you're like, well, I'm a Christian, I already know, then, then why do I need to remember the gospel? You need to remember the gospel fully, that while you and I were yet sinners, while we were ungodly, while we were dead in our trespasses, when we had nothing to bring to God, He stooped and stepped into this world to save us. And if he stepped into the world to save us and and to to die on the cross for us, if his love for us was that great, how much greater is it for us then now that we have been saved? I know it's hard to believe, but I have to get on to to my kids because they become disobedient at times. Your kids would never do this, but they can be disrespectful. Mine can. They can be disobedient. They can make me do, or they can do things that make me wonder, have I not ever taught them this? And, y'all, we're much the same way with God. We are his children. And just like real children in this world, we will be disobedient and disrespectful. And we will act in a way where I just, God's got to be like, what, why? Like I've told them clearly, why would they? But, you know, here's the other thing about being a father that I understand so much more. I forgive them. And I keep them in the fold. And I bring them into the fold. And I pull them close. And I hug them. Store them. God, our Father, is a greater Father than I will ever be. So you need to remember the gospel just like we needed in the beginning to save us. It is saving us every day. The gospel was not a one-time event where we look back on the calendar and say, I was saved in seventh grade, I'm okay now. But it's, I was saved in seventh grade, and praise God, He is saving me every single day for myself. So remember the gospel because we're going to get into the tongue briefly. We're going to look at verse 26, and, and, and what is, how does that tongue indicate who we are? That's going to be tough for some to begin to wrestle with. 
Verse 27 is going to be tough for some to wrestle with. And then we pull it all into context. If we're not careful and we're not discerning, then Satan's going to come in and say, look how you fell over and over again. You are not worthy to be his son. And you know what? That's where we say, praise God for the gospel because I'm not. We are not worthy to be his sons and daughters, yet he has adopted us. So remember the gospel and how comforting that is. But at the same time, we can't do this. Well, once saved, always saved. I can, I'm saved right now, and so I can live like this, and God's just going to forgive me of everything. That's not biblical either. He has saved us, and he has secured us. But it also calls us, Scripture also calls us to constant obedience for his name's sake. All right, so remember the gospel. If Christ died for you when you were yet a sinner, and he loved you with such a great love, how much more does he love you in this moment right now? With that said, here's what James 1, 22 through 27 says. And I'm in the, the ESV version. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, that would be scripture, right? But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, that's going to be piece of cake. This is easy, right? Easy, clear commands. I'm going to sit for this one most of the time. Okay, here's what I think we can kind of break this down into. All right, we've got, we've got a clear reminder. We're going to look at the clear reminder from last week that we cannot just hear the word, we have to do the word. We're going to look at a humbling consideration so that we self-evaluate who we really are in this, and then a holy calling. We're Baptist, three points, okay? And there's some alliteration with some of those. They actually match up, a clear reminder, three words, a humble consideration, three. I mean, there's a lot going on here that's very Baptistic, okay? All right, but there's a lot of really good truth. Because we're observing the Lord's Supper um, later, at the end of this service, uh, we do try to preach a slightly... Shorter message, slightly, like, if it's possible. Um, so the, the good thing about a clear reminder is, you know, this is what we looked at last week. So if you didn't get to, if you weren't here last week or you forgot last week because we know that that's just how, how life is and how our, our brains work, then you can, you can listen to that and, and see what's really going on with verse 22 through 25. But let's look at that. Here's a clear reminder for you and I today. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer only, I'm sorry, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And I want to start here again, even though it was just last week, because it's very, uh, it, it's going to keep our context for us. But it's very humbling also for us to remember that first, that first verse. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. It is, 
it's unfortunate. It's, it's disrespectful of me. It's unfortunate and, and evil for me to deceive you. We would not look on anyone and say, oh, that's a noble thing that you have deceived them. But I think that it's actually a tragic thing when we deceive ourselves. And that's what Scripture tells us. Verse 22, if we only hear and we do not do, then you and I are not deceiving anyone else but ourselves. Because authentic faith will work. Okay, James we'll get, on, we'll get into later, faith and works, and, and there's huge debates that split doctrinals, uh, I'm sorry, doctrines of churches of, of do we need faith or do we need works, and Scripture honestly teaches you need both. You need good works that are rooted in faith. Matthew Henry says that faith is the roots and good works are the fruit. So if you picture a tree, you have to have faith, but genuine, authentic faith will change your life and my life, and it will produce fruit. So if you and I were to sit in godly churches with the greatest of preachers and we have podcasts that we are listening to and they are solid and we're reading the Bible for 30, 45 minutes, three hours a day and we're spending time in prayer, but we're not doing the word and it's all just an action that we're doing. If we hear only and do not do, we are deceiving nobody but ourselves and I think what a tragedy. Because I work with students, and because I know real people in real life, you probably know these people too. They're incredible. They, they, they're the next great athlete in this world, right? They're the better athlete than anybody else. They're the, the smartest student. They're the best musician. Um, they are, they're an incredible person. If you just knew them, if you just saw them play or you watch the journey they've been on, they are the best, and they're going to be the next best thing. We all know people like this, and they can boast. And then, have you ever watched them play? And you're like, oh, okay. And then what do you say at the end of that game whenever it's really awkward? Because they are incredible in their eyes, and you've watched, and you're not impressed. And yet, at the same time, you have to be encouraging, and so that's a time whenever Christians can lie, okay? So <laughs> you're trying to find that way where you're like, Hey, it was great. I'm glad I got to come to the game. You know, I'm, it was good seeing you. But you're trying to find it because here's, here's my point. Sometimes we believe that we're better than we truly are. And see that, that person play, whether it's music, whether it's uh, with athleticism, maybe it's um, they believe that they're going to be a great writer. I was, I was going to be a great writer someday. And then we actually see it and we're like, oh, they don't get it. They don't understand who they truly are. You know what James just said? Know this, my beloved brothers. I'm sorry, wrong one. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you have all the great listening habits, but you do nothing with it, you're deceiving nobody but yourself. It might be unfortunate that they're deceived by, by who you are, but it's tragic that you're deceived. Because if we're not doing, and we're only hearing, then it shows that our faith is not real. And we're going to see that run, out, run throughout all of James. So a lot of that was from last week. That's just a subtle reminder to really put into place for us, um, 26 and, and 27. But I want to, I want to remind you of, of what it means, whatever it says that, that there's a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror and he looks at himself and then he goes away. Um, just a reminder of what this looks like and what that means for us today is, it says that it's like this, that there's a, <clears throat> excuse me, a mirror right here. 
and that there's a man who doesn't just glance at himself and you know, make sure his stubble's good and hair's at least falling somewhat partially okay. He doesn't just glance and then go on, but he looks intently at his face. He's looking here and he's staring. He's trying to know who he is. He looks intently. He's studying the lines of his face and who he is. And then after studying intently is what scripture says, he turns away and he forgets who he is. And you and I would say that's absolutely absurd. We know what we look like. And if we've studied ourselves in a mirror, we're not going to turn away immediately and forget what we look like. It would be absurdity. It's ridiculous. And that's James's point is, it is ridiculous to look into the perfect law, verse 25, to look, into the, to look and see who we truly are and do nothing about it. When we look into the perfect law, which would be God's word, it shows us who we are. There's no mirror there, but there is the Holy Spirit's inspired words through James to the Holy Spirit um, redeemed saint right here and deep crying out to deep, the, the Spirit within us is saying, you know that you need to repent of it. You know that this is who you are. Study intently who you are and do something about it. That's the context. And now he's about to tell us something that we need to look at. So here's a humbling consideration for us. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. It's just like, we're just going to move slowly through that one and expound on it. It's going to kind of say everything that we really need to say about it. But if anyone thinks, now the anyone here, he's not writing to everyone in the world. He's writing to the tribes that are in dispersion. He's writing to Christians who are dispersed um, in the Roman world. And he's writing to us that we gather here today. Another church will gather somewhere else. Believers throughout the world are gathering. We're all in dispersion. So he's writing to believers. So if any believer, if anyone thinks he is religious. Okay, now the word religious there, it's actually good to know what this word originally meant and intended. It was the outward religious practice. So it's, for us, it's the going to, to church on Sunday. It's the Facebook post that we share and like of this is a good coffee cup mug with someone's quiet time, so I'm going to like it and share it, and, you know, the struggle's real like that. It's, it's all the right actions, right? Showing up to Sunday, it's, it's liking the right things. It's even showing up at the right rallies and even encouraging others. It's, it's the right reaching out to say, hey, I'm there for you. I'm thinking about you today. It's all the right actions, all the religious activities. It, for them... What it was is it was going to the temple at the right time, saying the prayers the right way, making sure that, that you're respecting the law. Like he's writing into that context, and they're trying to come out of the law context, but they still understand there's an obligation. His whole point is, if you do everything outwardly right, you think you're religious, and others will believe you're religious because of how you act. Okay, so if anyone thinks he's religious, has the, out, the right outward religious appearance and practice, watch this, and does not, like not underlined for me, and does not bridle his tongue. That means it doesn't put a rein on his tongue, doesn't, doesn't restrain the tongue. So the one who thinks he's religious, does all the outward right things, but doesn't stop his or her tongue, but deceives his heart. Who does he deceive whenever, who do we deceive whenever we don't bridle our tongue? We deceive nobody but our own self. The heart is the center of who we are. So it actually sounds a lot like verse 22, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And here he says, hey, be doers. You better bridle your tongue or you're really just deceiving who you 
who you think you are. He says this person's religion is worthless. So the true condition of someone who does not, of a true believer who does not bridle their tongue, James says it's absolutely worthless. We're fooling ourselves if we don't bridle our tongue. Now, we live in a world where we like to negotiate everything. And we like to rationalize everything. I hear this so much. I have a master's in, uh, in English. I, was a, I have a bachelor's in creative writing. I wrote um, endlessly for so many years. It's just what I love to do. I lived in the world where words meant nothing, in a sense. We put words together, and words are empty vessels that we fill up with meaning, and then we put these words together, and we synthesize them into this new creation. But words were like Legos for me. You just put them together. What is a word? And, and we like to rationalize in that way. Ricky, is it really a cuss word, though? I mean, can I, if I say, oh, crud, but I have the wrong heart, then isn't it the same? Y'all, Scripture has plenty to say about this, right? We don't want to go into it because then we'll know. The scripture has plenty to say about, about slander and gossip, unwholesome talk is what it's called, crude jokes, has plenty to say about boasting much of ourselves. Go back to verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James is going to remind us over and over again that we need to speak less. He's going to tell us in chapter 3 that the tongue is a restless evil set on fire by hell. Like that's all right there. We're not going into to all of that so much today because the context is simply hear and do. Like, consider these things that you and I need to be hearing and doing. But I think this is an incredibly convicting passage because what it tells you and me is if we have all the outward show of religion and yet do not bridle how we speak, then we are fooling ourselves and our religion is worthless. Okay, so remember the gospel. Okay? <laughs> because I don't know about you, but I have had an unbridled tongue for most of my life, a lot of my Christian life. Why? Because, because you deserve to know what I think. I'm just, and we'll throw it out there. We throw it out there to friends. I throw, Chas is my safe place. right? And so I will... I'll just go in and I will unload on Chas, and she will come in and she will unload on me, and we're like, but you know what I mean, okay? So you're my safe place, and I do think that there's some, some warrant to that. We need safe places where people know our true heart so we can get the junk out of, uh, out of our head and just lay it out there, and then they help us clean it up. We need safe places. Spouses are great safe places. Not a marriage conference, not what I'm saying, okay? What I am saying is a lot of the times the things that we're saying, though, are really just to validate our own feelings, and they have nothing to do with working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? It's a fearful thing to be in the hands of a living God, is what Scripture says. Whenever we live in a culture that does not fear God, then we kind of pick up on that as well. So we want to humbly consider, where are we with verse 26? If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. How you and I, church, communicate the words we speak, and I, I mean this like, I mean this as, as a pastor, the way that I speak in the pulpit, I mean it in the way that I speak to my wife, the way that I speak to my kids, the way that I speak with, with people in public. 
the way that I post things online, like the way that I will send text messages. Speech here implies all of who we are in our expressive language. If we do not bridle that, then we show the authenticity or the inauthenticity of our faith. Our faith will manifest itself in how we speak. Now, if you're sitting there, I'm going to take a moment. If you're sitting there and you're like, okay, failure, right? Remember the gospel. He did not say, be saved, all is done, you need no other instruction, go on, everything's fine. Instead, after Christ died on the cross, then God sent the apostles out and he moved men to write scripture so that we can be shaped by it today. So it's what we do with what we hear in this moment. Because some of you and, and some who are listening and even my own kids, they're going to come across this passage and maybe they've read it 20 times or they've never considered what it actually means. But the spirit within at this moment is convicting. We respond to the conviction and we have to do something with it. We must be changed by the word. Because our tongue bears the fruit of our faith. We either have the faith or we don't have the faith. And how we speak communicates that to an unbelieving world. We do not need to speak like the world to save the world. We need to show that we love Christ and God and that we are different from the world. And that's all we need. We need nothing else from the world. And that will captivate others that there's something here that's falling away. But there's one who's true and permanent. And how we speak will communicate to them the authenticity of our faith. So, I am standing as one guilt. I'm sitting right now because I'm on a stool. I chose a sitting posture with this because I went, like, I'm here with you in this. I am one who is guilty of much the same thing. And there are going to be times, men, as I'm talking to you, and I'm not saying women can, but I'm just going to be speaking to the men more. And into, there's going to be times whenever Mark's going to have to say to me, Ricky, you just need to quit talking. You just need to bridle your tongue. Paul and I have done life uh, a lot longer than others because we're brother-in-laws. And there's going to be times whenever he just needs to look at me and say, and I hear you. I know you're mad, but very kindly and graciously, you need to shut up. Like, you need to bridle your tongue because you need to remember that there's a God on the throne and he's, he, he knows you. And so we need to have that openness with one another as believers so that we can call one another out in love because it matters. I want to I take you to Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 36. In case you think that Jesus is adding anything here, Matthew 12, 33 through 36. As you're turning there, I want to encourage you to consider, um, yes, consider the gospel. Consider why we're speaking. The motive is always the matter at hand, right? Sometimes we do need to spill all of that out. It's the motive of our heart in that moment. Sometimes I've told Chess, I'm like, I need to say this to you so that I don't say it to them <laughs> and, uh, and, and really hurt my witness. But it's also a way for me to process through. I'm a verbal processor, right? I, I, I need to talk through things sometimes. But the motive matters. Matthew 12, 33 through 36, here's what Jesus says. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. Okay, real quick, how do you know that it's an apple tree? Apples grow on it. How do you know it's an orange tree? Oranges grow on it. 
And I realized I'm going to stop right there because I don't know what other kind of trees there are, okay? So we're going to do apples and oranges. But I do remember whenever I was younger, my grandparents had a, a tree out in the front corner, and, uh, and it was a great tree to climb in. It was a great tree to run around and, and just be a kid under. And I went in there, and I asked them one time, I'm like, what kind of tree is that? They're like, it's an apple tree. I'm like, oh. And they said, did you not see the apples growing on it? And lo and behold, there were apples growing on it. But then that, that tree ultimately died. But the first thing to die were the fruit. The apples would fall off too quickly. They wouldn't ripen. The tree ultimately died, rotted from the, from the inside, and they had to tear it down. I still miss that tree. That's going to be one of those, those pictures of childhood for me is going to be that apple tree. But I do remember them saying it's an apple tree. Like, look, here's an apple. Do you not see the apples? We know a tree by its fruit. And Jesus points us to that, verse 33. For the tree is known by its fruit. Now let's keep going. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in the heart comes out the mouth, is what Jesus says. For the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. God, we can have all the treasury of Christ, all the knowledge of the richness of who he is, but if we do not bridle our tongues, we reveal our true heart's condition. Now, Christians take great hope and joy in verse 36 and 37, that on the day of judgment people will give an account for every careless word, and we will be justified or condemned because of our words. Can I just tell you, all the judgment that was due to us was poured out on Jesus Christ. So if you're sitting here right now and you're like, I've absolutely failed and sinned in this, and I'm going to struggle with this for the, for the next five years, but I will grow in holiness, and I'm going to pursue who he is, and that every time we fail, all of that has already been laid on Christ. There is no harsher judgment for us anymore. There will be a final judgment but those who will be able to stand in judgment are those who stand beneath the cross of Christ. And he has already died for us. Hebrews says once and for all, he has paid the full penalty for all from all time. It is done. But I do still think we're going to have to give an account for every idle word that we have said. We still need to consider that what we say matters. If we don't bridle our tongues, it reveals what our heart is really like. And it's not what goes into the heart that defiles, but what comes out of the mouth in this case. It comes at the abundance of our hearts. So I'm just going to simply ask a very practical question. Is Christ honored in how you speak, or are we deceiving ourselves? Chances are, brothers and sisters that I'm walking alongside with, we are not going to do this well. But we need to be surrounded in a community of believers who are striving to do this better and better. We have a language of the kingdom, not a language of the world, and it's okay. Y'all, a controlled tongue is not legalism. It's just evidence of a legitimate faith, is what I would tell you. So a controlled tongue is not legalism. It's not a checking, a a checking of a box. James and, and Jesus have told us, that it's just evidence of a legitimate faith. How we speak matters. Okay, now last thing, a holy calling. So we had a, a clear reminder. We had a humbling consideration. How are we doing in this? And we need to be humble in it. And then we have a holy calling. 
You and I want to have a pure religion. Like we want to know that we're doing this the right way. And James tells us, moved by the Holy Spirit, he writes, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Two things, service and being unstained, right? So what does a Christian life really look like? That's what you and I need to know as we move through this life because culture is progressively trending in that direction. And we've been called out of this world into his glorious light and we have to live in this direction. What does this look like while we're still walking with people in this direction? He says, serve the widows and orphans and keep yourself unstained from the world. That's what pure religion looks like. So how many widows and orphans have you served today, this week, or this month, this decade? How many widows and orphans like, have we been serving like, throughout our lives? I think that, that we can say widows and orphans for sure, right? Absolutely. But I think it's also good for us to remember that basically our service to widows and orphans is a service to the least of these. It's serving those who really have nothing that they can give back to us. It's going to those who have no other, no other family, no other goods. We bring them in. We serve them. And we get nothing in return. I love the idea of mission trips. Like, I, I want to do them. But sometimes mission trips become vacations. Right? And that's not missions. That's why, that's why we as, uh, as, as Andy and I as elders, we're sitting down with Bo and Jared, and we're sitting here, we're saying, okay, what is missions that really is going to the heart of, of serving people where they are and preaching the gospel at our expense? But you and I, we are called to visit the widows and the orphans. Absolutely. We're called to serve those who are going to give nothing back to us, and they will probably never come to Cross Life Fort Smith. Who cares? Pure and undefiled religion is not attendance in a church. It's serving those who need to be served, that Christ has called us to serve, and keeping ourselves unstained from the world as we cling to Christ until he brings us home. So pure and undefiled religion is this. Visit the widows and orphans in their affliction. Look at Matthew 25. Lest we think that James is just adding more to, to what we have to do, I think what he's really doing is sometimes he's just like, okay, they don't get it. Like, here's what it means, right? And he's just like, you've got to go. You've got to go do this. It looks this way. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 what this looks like. And he puts very practical uh, application to it. 25, 31 through 46. Again, I'm in the ESV. He says in verse 31, When the Son of Man, that would be Jesus, when Jesus comes in his glory. So whenever Jesus comes back, it's what we're all anxiously waiting on. And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. That's why we sing, because he's worthy. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say, so Jesus will then say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? 
And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And Jesus, the king and the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, these are the goats. He separated them out. He says, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what I was prepared for, for the devil and his angels. He's casting others in there. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You did not welcome me. I was naked. You did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You did not visit me. And then they will say to him, when did we see you? Because can you imagine if you're sitting there before the throne and you hear the combination, you're like, when did we see you? Like, we would obviously give to you. Right? When did we see you like this? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Y'all hear and do. Do not just simply hear this, but, but do this, because otherwise we're deceiving ourselves. We need to hear and do this. Serve those, who, serve those whom Christ has called us to serve. And the beauty of the Christian life is that it's not a church program. We live missional lives. So the Wootens are going to go and serve somebody that I may not ever know or may not ever cross paths. And the DeBoers will too. And we as a church, we're going to go do this. But as we are doing this, everybody's going to serve those whom God has called them to serve. It's a very organic thing. So we're going to have programs that are moving us progressively more and more into missions. But the program is not the point. The program is an equipping tool. But we're to be going out. We're to serve. Hear and do these things lest we deceive ourselves. So we go on. Our faith is true when the hearing has taken root so much that we will humbly serve others. That's what it comes down to. When our faith becomes real, we will seek ways to humbly serve others. And that's pure and undefiled is what James tells us. Last part. And to keep one stained un, or I'm sorry, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Y'all hear that? Unstained from the world. Like not just a little you know, smudge here, not a smudge here, not I'm going to take a little bit of this and then I'm going to mix it with my Christianity over here, but to keep oneself unstained from the world. Pure and undefiled religion is this. Stay unstained from the world. You know, we can serve the world and not be like the world. And I think that many churches and many well-intentioned Christians have completely flipped this and said we must be like the world to reach the world. And Scripture says, do not be like the world. You're not of the world. You're just in the world. We have to be unstained from the world. Yes. Will some people be drawn to that? Absolutely. Will some be repelled by that? Absolutely. Scripture already tells us that. That we have the ministry of reconciliation, that we are to go into this world to reconcile and that it's Christ making his appeal through us. And it says to some were the aroma of life and to others were the aroma of death. Some will be drawn to Christ through the holy lives that we are trying to live. Not the holy lives we live, the holy tribes that we are trying to live. And some will be completely repelled and repulsed by it. That's not our problem. That's a hard issue that God deals with because God deals with the heart. We deal in our obedience. So we have to be unstained from the world. But when our churches begin to look like the world, to attract the world, it will be absolutely worldly. And it will have worldly results. 
Whenever we come in and we're gathering as Christians to do what Christians love to do, which is to look at Christ and to try to live lives for Christ, and we become more and more like Christ, the world is not going to like that, and they will not be attracted to that. That's not our problem. Our problem is our obedience. What does pure and undefiled religion look like? Serve those whom he has called you to serve, and do not look like the world. No smudge of it, no stain of it. Be unstained. Please go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Two passages and then we're done. See, Andy, I told you it would be shorter. It's not 50 minutes. It's only 45. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writing to believers, just as James is writing to believers, just as I am speaking to believers, just as others of you speak to one another as believers. Paul writes, I appeal to you, believers, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Flip to your right to Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. So you had Romans, just a little bit of flipping to your right, you'll find Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Here's what if we began to adopt this church in our daily lives. Paul writes to the Philippians, other believers. He says, whatever is true, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Listen to verse 8 one more time. Finally, brothers and sisters, cross life. Finally, cross life, believers, wherever we are. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, and cross life, think on these things. Because if we're thinking and dwelling on these things, we're not thinking and dwelling in these over here. So there's much more that we could expound on for sure. I mean, we, could, we could really get into the tongue a whole lot more, and we will whenever it comes to chapter 3. We're going to let Jared or, or Bo preach that one. And there's much more we could say about serving others and being unstained. But I think it really comes back to verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We've heard it. It's just what are we going to do with what, with, what we, with what we've heard? So now if we take 19 through 27, because I've broken it into two parts. Here, here's the context of chapter 1. James says, I'm a servant of God. And you need to know, all of you who are scattered, those of you who call on Christ, that you're going to have various trials And you need to consider these things to be a joy. And he will be with you through those. And then the very next thing he's going to tell them about after trials is this. That verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, 
Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the righteousness of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He says, hear this and do it. Verse 21, he says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Then he comes back and he says that if you think you're religious and you don't bridle your tongue, we're deceiving ourselves. Hear it and do it. And then the last thing was, there is a pure and undefiled religion, which means that we serve others who cannot serve us and that we are unstained from the world. Hear it and do it. It's all He's bringing in this advice at the very beginning of his, le- of his letter to say, here's what the Christian life looks like. And y'all, I'm not going to lie, this is tough. Telling, talking to Andy, it is hard to look at a passage like this whenever I'm walking alongside brothers and sisters in life and I already know that we're struggling to want to live holier lives. That's hard to then come in and and say, okay, also here's what scripture says. Yes, we're probably failing in this way. Like that is hard pastorally. It's like coming along your child who you already know is struggling in something and having to validate and say, yes, you, you are struggling in that. But then it's another thing to say, yes, you are struggling in that, but we are gonna get through this together. And that's what the church is supposed to be about. The church, or the regenerated, the made new, the saints coming together to worship him, but then also to walk aside one another and pursue holiness. And at the core of who we are as a church, whether here or whether believers scattered in every other church, is that we have been redeemed by Christ and the gospel. Not because we were holy, not because we were perfect, not because we had it figured out, and not because we were getting wise enough to where he could reveal himself, but simply because of his goodness and mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us. And then he said, because I love you, here's more of who I am so that you can know me more and more. So remember the gospel where God brings conviction. Turn that over to Christ. Repent and believe in the forgiveness he gives us. Where Satan comes in with condemnation, boasts in the gospel. Absolutely. Saying, I totally, absolutely failed. And so did you when my Christ went to the cross. But don't let his condemnation be what hinders us from Christ. You know, we're about to sing a song of reflection. That's what we call it. We don't have altars because we physically don't have altars. At the same time, our God is near us, within us. We don't need an altar that we come to. We can deal with him right where we are. Deal with God as God is dealing with you. That's in the privacy of your hearts. If you need to talk to someone, then absolutely, I would love to visit with you. But as we sing our song of reflection, let's just say, I've I've done all that and, and we're singing this song. Here's what I want to remind you of. There is a God who is worthy of all praise. Think on him and his glorious gospel as we get to sing one final song and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But there is a God who is worthy of all praise. And he said, you are mine and I am bringing you home. Even though we stumble along the way, he is bringing us home. Lord God, we love you, but you first loved us so that we could be a unique kind of people for your glory. Lord, would you be with our hearts so that we can hear what you have been communicating to us. And Lord, would you help us to, to deal truly with ourselves and not deceive ourselves. But Lord, may we always look to Christ, the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at your right hand, and he is interceding for us. All praise and glory goes to you for any growth that we have. Lord, just help us to be more like you. Show us our hearts as you see them so that we can repent and grow. And one day, you will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and we will never be apart from you again. But until then, Lord, thank you that you're a better father than any of us could ever be, and that you're walking with us as you bring us home. Amen.